listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, your daily podcast on the Denver Nuggets. Now, here is your host from denverstiffs.com, Adam Mades. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, part of Locked On NBA Network. I'm your host, Adam Mades from denverstiffs.com, the largest Denver Nuggets blog and community on the web. Check us out. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It was taco night at Pepsi Center for the media. Always, You always know that's a good omen. Should be taco night for the rest of the year. I guess there's only two more games, but anytime it's taco night, it's like you know, you know you're in for something special. And we were. It was a great win for the Nuggets, uh, defeating the Indiana Pacers. A three-point win really was more than that. I think the Nuggets were up 11 with 52 seconds left to go. Um, Indiana was able to make it look a little bit closer than than what it really was. But um, an up-and-down game, but a good one, and there were a lot of positives. The Nuggets keep it rolling. Three-game win streak. Um, tied for their second longest of the year, ironic enough. I think they have a four-game winning streak not too long ago, I think in the month of February. Um, but but the Nuggets playing some good basketball, and there's a lot of good positives in this one. Indiana, a good team. Um, they're on the end of a long road trip, but uh, but they're a, good, a very, very good team. If you're new to listening to this show, I, I always prov- open up my notebook. You know, I watch the game, I rewatch the game, I take a lot of notes. Uh, really try to get into the weeds of what's going on with the Nuggets. I'm not going to recap the game beat by beat, but I am going to share these notes, and I just think it makes for more interesting listening. So this uh, one will be kind of the notebook, some quick hitters, and then I do have some comments about Michael Malone and the job he's done over the last, I would say, two weeks or so, really since that Memphis game um, that I want to close with. But before I get to all of that, Saturday, Stiff's Night Out. I hope you're going to join us at the Celtic on Market. They are a sponsor of this show. They're also a great bar. Saturday, the Nuggets are taking on the Clippers. Clippers also won tonight. So they remain in the playoff hunt. And that Saturday game is really shaping up to be the biggest one of the season. I think this one, this, this next one on Thursday against Minnesota on TNT is the biggest game of the season. If the Nuggets can escape that one and win, then, then the Saturday game becomes a big one, an elimination game for the Clippers it will be. So um, come join us, 1.30 start, uh, 1400 Market Street. Tip-off is at 1.30. Super mos- mascot Rocky will be there. The Denver Nuggets dancers, Katie Winjay, the in- arena host, who is fantastic, will be there. We'll be giving away tickets. The Nuggets take on Portland on Monday, and the Nuggets really want that one to be sold out. So in addition to being able to purchase tickets, come to Stiff's Night Out on Saturday. They're going to be giving away a whole bunch. So great opportunity for you to show up and get tickets to that one. So join us for Stiff's Night Out. It's completely free to attend. Great bar. You can eat some food, drink some beer, cheer on the Nuggets, meet other Nuggets fans, uh, and then even win some prizes. All right, let's dive right into this. Hot start for Will Barton. How about that? First seven points of the game. Nuggets raced off to a 9-2 to start. Really good start for the Nuggets. And it was funny, I was sitting next to Matt Moore, and we both at the same time kind of looked at each other and go, you know what, it'd be nice for the Nuggets to get a blowout. They haven't had a blowout for a while. It seems like all of these games are, are stressful and taking years off the lives of Nuggets fans and I'm sure of Michael Malone. Um, so we thought, okay, maybe there'll be a blowout. Wasn't to be, like I said, this was an up-and-down game. Uh, it's a, it was a game of runs, and I think the way Denver plays really lends itself to big big swings. They can score in bunches. They can get scored on in bunches, and, and that's what happened. Denver's defense, I thought Denver's defense in the first half was actually pretty good. <clears throat> they, uh, they got their hand in a lot of passing lanes, especially in the first five minutes of this game, got a lot of deflections. I know Nikola Jokic got himself a lot of delec- uh, of de- deflections personally, but I just thought it was uh, 
you know, there was a lot, a lot of like good stuff happening on the defensive end, and, and especially in the half court, where Denver really struggled. I thought in that game was in transition and in early offensive opportunities. And this has been an issue with Denver all year. I really don't know what to attribute to. I think part of it is obviously just floor balance and court awareness, but I think part of it is also. Denver doesn't have kind of an attack dog on defense that Torrey Craig, I think, can be this guy. <clears throat> but, you know, you look at Devin Harris, Jamal Murray, even Gary Harris. These guys get back in transition, and, and, and but, the, but they're not the kind of guys that hound somebody 90 feet from the basket. Denver gave up a lot of transition in, in this game, eight fast break points in the first quarter, and that was really what kept Indiana in it. Uh, Denver w- had a lot of things working, but Indiana was able to hang around in large part to just transition opportunities. And I've said this before, and this was one of the games that I really think demonstrated this is some teams, I think, gain energy on the offensive end based on their defense. And you hear get stops and then you can get out and run. I think Denver is the other way around. I really and I've thought this for three seasons. I really I think, you know, the teams take on the identity of their best player or players. And I think with Nikola Jokic, he gets energy from the offensive end. And when the ball is popping and when things are going, you know, teams are taking smart shots and and things are going well on the offensive end I think the defense can um, kind of get its foothold when when Denver really kind of gives up runs and this is where that that where I talked about how they give up runs you know when Denver was really the offense in the half court was pass 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 score the the defense would get back everybody was kind of in it when guys would kind of either turn the ball over or just some ill-advised shots where maybe one pass a guy tried to go one-on-one step back threes contested things like that even the half court defense in the ensuing possession would get ugly so i think denver's one of those teams that 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 really the offense when the offense is really humming the defense it, i i think kind of gets its foothold <laughs> I got a bunch of quick notes here on Jokic. This was, you know, Jokic obviously leading score 30 points again. I mean, his scoring just going through the roof over the uh, last handful of games. It's funny, somebody after the game, myself and a couple other reporters talking about, you know, as we're waiting to get in the locker room, talking about is this the best Nikola Jokic has played? And I don't think it is. I think it's the best he's scored. Really since that that fateful Millsap-Jokic meeting of the minds that happened, I believe, after the Memphis game, um, maybe it was a little bit before that even, I thought that Jokic has done a really good job of being aggressive and looking for his shot. And I think offensively, the confidence he's shooting the ball with from outside and posting up all these things is really, really high. But um, I think he's actually played better. There's been better stretches. The triple-double streak, five triple-doubles in the month of February or whatever, to me, that's Jokic at his best. But I do think his scoring has been really good. Um, One thing that he does that I really, really like is that on blow-bys, you know, if somebody kicks out to him, he shot fakes, gets gets his defender in the air, and then goes, you know, quick first step, well, quick for Jokic. Um, but he goes from quick to slow really, really well. And I know that sounds funny, but he beats his man, so he, he um, eliminates one defender, his on-ball defender, and then he really, really, really slows down into this awkward off-rhythm timing as he drives to the basket. He also does this in pick-and-roll, by the way, where he'll screen fast, he'll roll fast, and as soon as he catches it, it's almost like he's, he's moving towards the basket, but then he goes in slow motion. And the reason he's doing that, I think, is twofold. 
One is he's not the kind of player that's going to like power dribble to the basket and dunk it on somebody. So there's really no reason for him to kind of go quick straight line drives to the basket. But as he slows down, one, it allows him he's got such great touch on the ball with, with that floater. And this is where the more the Nuggets are able to hit him on the roll, the, the the part of the reason I think his effective field goal percentage is lower this year is because he hasn't had as many um, pick and roll rolling to the out, rolling to the basket, able to shoot that little five foot floater that he's so good at. He hasn't had as many of those without Jameer Nelson in the lineup. But he slows down as he's going there, and it helps his touch on that floater, but it also puts the defense in a bind. One of the things that the back line of defense, the help side defense, has to decide in these pick-and-roll situations is when do you rotate over to stop the roll man, in this case Jokic, when do you rotate over, and when do you stick to the guy who's in the dunker spot? So if you imagine uh, Paul Millsap's man guarding him on the block, and Jokic is rolling to the rim – well, if that guy goes quick, sometimes you can make the quick rotation, fully step up and catch a guy off balance. Well, Jokic slows things down into this off rhythm where if you step up as he's kind of slowly meandering towards the rim, he's just so good at dropping that ball off to whoever's in the dunker or kicking out to the three-point line that he really makes you pay. And if you don't help off, then he just shoots that little footer, uh, five-footer. So he does a really good job of speeding things up early in the play but then slowing them down when it's time for the defense to try to figure out if they should rotate or not and it's really effective I also thought another I have a couple notes here on Jokic I thought Indiana did a really good job with their scouting report forcing Jokic to his left hand and or I shouldn't say forcing to his uh to his left hand but just sitting on his left shoulder in the post um Sabonis did it Turner did it uh, Booker did it. All of those, all of the guys did a really, really good job of that. And it's because Jokic is so right-hand dominant, and he's crafty enough with his footwork and his post moves. And even when he goes up with the ball, sometimes he goes up like he's going left and then goes back to his right, and it gets guys so often because it, it's just so much of what Jokic does is off rhythm. It really catches people off balance. But I thought the scouting report – you know, I've been waiting for teams to kind of try to force Jokic to his left hand, and I thought Indiana did a really, really good job of that. Now, Jokic went for 30 points, so it didn't, it wasn't necessarily effective, but there were some possessions where they were sitting on his shoulder so hard, and he still forced a right-handed shot that that went nowhere. I think he had an air ball on a post-up, um, and, and a couple other awkward-looking ones, a travel. So, one of the things I think Jokic really needs to work on this off-season, it, this would be a high priority, I think, for him, is working on some post moves going over his right shoulder they don't necessarily have to be left-handed jump hooks and things like that but whenever he goes you know spins that direction he always turns into a two-foot fall away or a two-foot jump shot of some some type or it's just a it's he becomes susceptible to getting his shot blocked or to being forced away from the basket on a fall away I think adding a couple more moves spinning that direction will provide a nice enough counter to keep defenses honest Another thing working for Jokic today was his shot fake. He got Turner jumps at a lot. Not you know, it was interesting watching Miles Turner because I know a lot of people after that rookie season thought Turner would be a much better player than Jokic. I of course did not I, I like I like Miles Turner a lot. I think he can be really good. One of the things he does on the defensive end, he bites on ball fakes, he bites on shot fakes. He really overreacts to, you know, one dribble to your right and then you cross over. He he bites so hard on that dribble to the right. It's just it's almost like he's over um, stepping on on his moves. Well, Jokic did a really good job of stunning him with a shot fake today, and I think Miles Turner might have jumped for five or six different shot fakes by Jokic that opened things up for him. 
and Jokic's three-point shot, I think, needs to be mentioned. He is now shooting 40% from behind the three-point line on the season. Actually, I'm rounding up officially 39.8%, and that's on 3.7 attempts per game. This is a, the area of Jokic's game that I think has most improved over from last season to this season, and he's talked a lot about how much he worked on that specifically on his jump shot and his three-point shot, and he's shooting with a tremendous amount of confidence. I think he's shooting like 48% or something since mid-January. Um, but he's he's just really, really looking good, and it made me look up. 3.7 attempts per game is quite a bit. I know the game has changed, and centers are taking more and more three-pointers, but that number is pretty high. Dirk Nowitzki, and this is uh, I'm by no means trying to say he's a better three-point shooter than Dirk Nowitzki, but it should give you confidence or, or at least um, some optimism about Jokic's ability to develop that aspect of his game because Dirk Nowitzki in his second season shot 38% on exactly 3.7 attempts per game. So basically age for age, I guess Dirk was a little bit younger than, um, you know, he was shooting 3.7 attempts, 38 as a career, Dirk is shooting 38% from three. He kind of hovered between 37 and 41% or 42% basically his entire career, and he took 3.4 a game. Now, again, the game has changed so much. I think if Dirk is entering the league the same time as Jokic, he's probably averaging five or six attempts a game as, uh, uh, for his career. And Dirk did so many other things, his mid-range shot and his post-up, his fall-away, all those things. Um, so, again, I'm not trying to to put these expectations on Jokic, but the fact that he has been this efficient from all over on the court, but especially this year adding a three-point shot, because remember last year I think he shot like 33%, somewhere in there. This year to raise that to 40% I think is very, very encouraging. Outside of Jokic in that first half, it was really a brick fest. And Will Barton got off to that hot start. Um, he had 15 points at the half. Uh, or I'm sorry, Jokic had 15. Will Barton had 14. That made up 29 of the 49 points for the Nuggets. There just wasn't a whole lot of scoring anywhere else on the court. And they those two guys shot above 50%. Everybody else was struggling. Wilson Chandler 0 for 5, his first game back since that nose injury. Jamal Murray 2 for 6. You had just about everybody else one for three or one for four. So it was a real brick fest. And the same was true on the other uh, end of the floor where Indiana shot three of ten from behind the three-point line. They were 46%. And, again, a lot of those makes were on fast breaks. They weren't on half-court offense. The half-court offense for both teams was clunky outside of a couple guys. And in that third quarter, here's what's so crazy. The Nuggets started on an 11-0 run. Then the Pacers went on a 10-0 run of their own. The Nuggets had a 10-0, another 10-0 run in the third quarter, and then the Pacers had a 15-5 run. So this it was almost like the Milwaukee game in a microcosm where you had four big runs, two by the Nuggets, two by the Pacers, all in that third quarter. And again, this is just who the Nuggets are, I think, right now. It, it, if, if you're an optimist, you think that perhaps next season with some maturity and growth and experience – Maybe the good parts of that, the Nuggets run stay and the and, and the bad parts don't. And maybe even with some roster clarification, maybe a, a more traditional point guard with second units or something like that. Um, but it was just such a run. And I just raved about Jokic in segment two here. Segment three, this was a really, really bad final 15 minutes defensively for Jokic. And it's been that way. It wasn't necessarily a... A uniquely bad the, the sad part is I don't think it was necessarily a uniquely bad but teams have 
I would love to see the like uh, second spectrum numbers on how many pick and rolls the Nuggets are forced to defend in second halves this year relative to previous years because it seems like everybody's scouting report says the same thing, and I think this is part of why Denver games get so interesting down the stretch. Once you just start trying to put Will Barton and Nikola Jokic in the pick and roll or Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic in the pick and roll, you're able to generate so many great looks just so frequently. And I think the number one thing I would, if I were the coaching staff with the Nuggets, I would try to work on, I don't know how you do this, but Nikola Jokic is going to have to improve in the pick and roll defensively. His foot speed is going to have to improve. Um, I don't know what type of workouts you can do to try to work on that or what what things, but he just has to improve in that or, or else he's going to be a liability in, in spread pick and rolls in particular with a quick backcourt. And obviously Oladipo, he's just such an impressive player. I think you look at Gary Harris, and if there's a player I would um, maybe try to mold Gary he, Gary Harris, you know, you always think about how can he improve. The way Oladipo is able to attack in pick and rolls and that burst of speed he, he's able to use, that's something I think Gary Harris can, can add to his game. But he's speedy. You got uh, Darren Carlson, who's incredibly speedy. Both of those guys were just able to kind of make Jokic uncomfortable. And, um, you know, he gets caught in no man's land a lot in the pick and roll. He, he drops, but he drops in a way that's very non-aggressive. Uh, it allows point guards to make very easy reads. That pocket pass to the roll man, you know, good teams are able to make that really, really difficult on on a point guard. And, and we've talked about Jamal Murray and how he struggles to make that pass to Nikola Jokic on the roll at times. Well, it's always easy, no matter who the point guard is, it's so easy to make that pocket pass because there's so much space between the point guard and center in pick and rolls. And one thing I think the Denver Nuggets as a team can do, but Nikola Jokic in particular, is try to jam that that zone and, and, and try to eliminate as best you can that those easy passes off to the roll. It also, because of, of how soft and unaggressive Jokic plays in the pick and roll, he also is forced into a lot of switches, and that obviously creates a disadvantage. So he gets switched out on Oladipo or Collison so much out at the three-point line just because of how easy it was to kind of navigate the pick and rolls when he's defending them. I think Denver also did a really bad job of defending, uh, or I'm sorry, of defensive rebounding in when those switches would happen. So... I always say if you can throw the ball into your big man when he's got a point guard or a mouse in the house, if you can do it quickly, I'm all for it. But too often teams struggle to get the ball to their big off of those switches. And I think the better option is to put the big in the dunker spot and then have him really aggressively go for the offensive rebound for two reasons. you got a small guy defended by a center. So think about Oladipo's out there being guarded by Jokic. That's a huge advantage for Oladipo. But also... Your rim protector, that now puts Murray, if you put him in the dunker spot, he's now responsible to be a help side rim protector, which he has no experience doing. He's a point guard. And he's also supposed to be a defensive rebounder, which, again, he's at a, a major mismatch. So for me, I would rather, I think NBA offenses are usually better served, not always, but usually better served either running their regular offense or sticking that big on little in the dunker spot and then just focusing on the offensive rebound. I think that's your better bet because then you're exploiting both mismatches. Well, I thought Indiana did a really, really good job of that in this game, and as a result, they were able to grab a lot of offensive rebounds in that second half because they had you know, either uh, Trevor Booker, who's really, been, uh, really had success against the Denver Nuggets. He's played them four times, once with Philadelphia, twice with Brooklyn, and now once with Indiana, kind of ironically. He did a great job at that. Uh, Sabonis did a good job. Turner did a good job of that, and they were just able to create second-chance 
opportunities. One other thing I think Jokic can do in the pick and roll, he if the pick and roll happens well above the three-point line, that soft drop that he has, it, it works because it allows the point guard to kind of recover as the player is trying to barrel towards the basket. But what he gets suckered into is when that screen happens at the three-point line or even a, a step inside the three-point line, there's just not enough room for him to, you know, it's only one quick burst for the point guard to get to the uh, into the paint and to score. So one thing I think he can do is play his man really, really tight as he tries to set the three, the, the screen so as to try to almost, without fouling, push him above the three-point line, and then you jump back after that because, you know, the screener has to be set. He doesn't want to get an offensive foul. So if you can kind of walk him up and force him to go above the line of the, the, the three-point line and then drop back as soon as he has to be set, I think you can buy a little bit of time. But Jokic was getting beaten every different type of way. And if you look at Thad Young's shot chart, by the way, a lot of these like Thad Young rolling to the rim, his every single one of his shots, or outside of maybe two or three, were right down the middle of the lane because that's where he was catching the ball and able to shoot that little floater. So Indiana ran pick and roll for 15 minutes. Jokic struggled with it with 15 minutes. Every team is starting to do that. Um, but fortunately, the Nuggets just are so good on the offensive end, they were able to to make it work. I got a bunch of quick hitters here now to kind of wrap up my notebook here. Tory Craig continues to make so many incredible plays. One of the things he does, he just puts himself in position to make plays. So it's not that he's always like flying around recklessly. I've been trying to figure out how he gets so many of these second chance points and loose balls. And one of the things I've noticed that he does is when a shot goes up and he is not in any type of rebounding position, let's say he's in the corner and a shot goes up. Um, a mid-range shot goes up or a post-up goes up and there's no way he can go in and like crash that responsibly. What he does is he just goes and stands behind everyone. So if you, if you imagine a shell around the restricted area with everyone kind of boxing each other out, he just goes and stands like right behind everyone and he's either able to get a steal as the big guy kind of turns to find his outlet pass. He, he's gotten steals that way. But a lot of times when there's a scrum like that and a rebound goes up, the ball gets tipped and bounced and this or that and he just... He he puts himself, rather than just start jogging back to save energy on the defensive end, he just puts himself in position for if a loose ball like that happens, he's the guy who is ready and prepared for it. And I swear to God, it works two or three times a game when he plays 30 minutes. It works two or three times a game where he's just in the right place at the right time because he's kind of learned if there's a scrum, stand on the outside of the scrum. If the ball bounces, you're the first one to it. It's almost like he's not trying to grab the rebound, but the rebound of the rebound, and it works so well for him. Um, Murray needs to get quicker in isolation. There's been a lot of times over this last uh, couple couple weeks where he's gotten a big switched out on him. In this game, the play I'm thinking of specifically was Sabonis, and he just wasn't able to get around him. And, and Murray is really good. His go-to move in those is the step back, and it's really effective. But he needs to – whatever he can do to increase his his handle and, and his first step, he needs to do it because his th- – Three-point threat is so is so strong that bigs have to really, like, they can't just sag off him too far, but that he should be able to get around him, and he hasn't. As I mentioned, Wilson came back. Um, he was really off rhythm, I thought, for most of the night, but he did have back-to-back three-pointers that were really, really huge, opened the game up in, uh, in that third quarter. And the Nuggets starting unit is so good. I know there's been so many complaints. It This season really comes down... It, it, 
if you try to reduce it to its like simplest level, the Denver Nuggets starters are so good. The Denver Nuggets bench has been a disaster, and it shouldn't be. I think they're just lacking. I think there's like small fixes they can make that would really, um, you know, that that would have some big ripple effects to make them not not so terrible. But the starting unit is just so darn good. Um, there's a case to be made even with as great as Will Barton has been. Um, when he plays with the starters in Wilson's place, that next year if Wilson opts out of his contract and the Nuggets re-sign Barton, you might start Barton there. I think the the lineup of Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton, Millsap, and Jokic is one that I have a lot of confidence in. It's not an elite defensive unit, but it's so dynamic on offense. Um, but the Nuggets starting unit is just so good. The Devin Harris, another quick note here, the Devin Harris to uh, Mason Plumley connection continues to work great those guys i think have linked up for an alley-oop in like eight of the last 10 games and i think they had two of them in this one so that connection continues to work really well um the nuggets continue to do a good job of getting into the bonus early and Jokic has a lot to do with this will barton i think has a lot to do with it um but they just draw fouls so well in in the in early in quarters especially early in the fourth quarter and in this one i think they were in the bonus in three minutes so they played nine minutes of the game of that fourth quarter in the bonus and that can be the difference between a win and a loss when you just get you know three four five six free points at the free throw line Jokic, i think he got fouled by trevor booker 90 feet from the basket in the fourth quarter and gets to shoot two free throws those are free points that just you earn early in the in a quarter by getting in the bonus but then you you are rewarded with them later on and they they can really swing a game Lastly, I wanted to say some words on Michael Malone and just this last kind of stretch of basketball that the uh, that the Nuggets have played. I think the Nuggets have gotten progressively better, have looked progressively better since that Memphis game. That Memphis loss, I think, was sort of a low point when Millsap came back and it was clunky for a couple weeks and the team was falling, to, losing to teams they shouldn't and struggling to beat teams that were trying to lose. And it was ugly. And I think... You know, a lot of fans and perhaps even myself on this show put a lot of blame on the coaching staff and why can't these things get figured out quicker. And I think, first of all, I think coaching in the NBA, just like playing in the NBA, is just – I think we simplify it sometimes. And why don't they run this and run that? There's chemistry issues. There's situational issues. There are all these different things that I think go unaccounted for far too often. The Nuggets, starting with that Miami game, which they lost, by the way, I think have looked significantly better since then. The Philadelphia game, impressive. Toronto, impressive outside of some short runs. Oklahoma City, obviously a win. Milwaukee, a win. And then tonight, a win. And the Nuggets, I just think, if you really step back and look at it a big picture from when Millsap returned, they started off so low, but they really are starting to come together, I think, in a way that is very, very encouraging. And some of the things that, you know, I think a lot of media members have complained about Malone, myself included, things like using too many timeouts, I think he's really improved over the last month about kind of saving his timeouts. He had four timeouts in the final three minutes and 30 seconds of this game. He didn't call. There were moments. Again, I talked about those that third quarter where I talk about those runs. The Pacers had a 10-0 run and a 15-5 run. Malone still managed to escape that quarter with four timeouts in the fourth quarter, all the way down to four minutes in the, uh, I'm sorry, three and a half minutes in the fourth quarter with four timeouts. And it was so important 
because with three and a half minutes to play, the Nuggets were able to go offense, defense. Usually offense, defense happens in the final minute or so where each team's calling timeouts. Malone, I thought, did a great job of saving those timeouts and then able to go offense, defense, even with 3.30. And some of those offense-defense possessions were really, really huge. Getting Mason Plumlee in there, even with three and a half minutes to go, just to get one stop and maintain like a six-point lead really was the difference in this game. And, and you know, it's not just that, the rotation. I think I think the rotation has found a lot of clarity, even despite Gary Harris going out. You know, he's done a good job of playing Jokic with those second units so that you're less susceptible to, these mi- to, to some of these like really bad bench moments. He's found moments for small ball. Um, I think a lot of the bigger complaints that fans have had and even that I've had on this show about some of the decisions he's made, I think he's done a really good job over the last three, two, two or three weeks or so. So um, it deserves a, real, a lot of credit for that. He gets a lot of the blame when things go wrong. I think it's only right that he gets a lot of the credit when not only do the team play well, but they move in the right direction. And I think um, I think the Nuggets are definitely been doing that over the last couple. So the Nuggets get the win. They are now, I think, just a game and a half out of the five seed. (laughs) Obviously, probably not going to happen. Four games left. But the Nuggets are still alive. I think a week ago, we all thought after that Toronto loss, we all thought, okay, they were dead in the water. The, the Nuggets have rallied since then to win three. Some of the other teams, like the Pelicans, have lost a couple We didn't, you know, people didn't expect. The Nuggets still very much in the thick of it. It does set everything up for Thursday night's game. Jimmy Butler looks like he's going to return. Gary Harris not supposed to be returning. Malone said before the game it probably won't be back for three or four games, which would mean the season there's only four games left. You know, but we also thought that with Paul Millsap. When, when Paul Millsap was out, we were given a timetable, and then one day he was active. And it was it just happened overnight, and nobody saw it coming. Now, I have no idea what's going on with Gary Harris. I hear he's still moving somewhat gingerly, so maybe he really is out for the, the rest of the season. But with as big as this game is on Thursday, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some some surprises on both sides with Jimmy Butler and Gary Harris possibly. So something to look forward to. But that game, it should be for – it really can't be overstated how important that game is for both teams. It should be a lot of fun. National television, Cat versus Jokic, uh, Timberwolves versus Nuggets. It should be really, really exciting one. No show tomorrow, guys. We'll have another one recapping the Thursday night game and then probably a weekend summit on Friday. I'll leave you with this final quote from Michael Malone, which I just thought was really, really good in a lot of different ways. I mean, I've said it before, and he won't get any recognition into the season, but uh, what he does every single night and how efficiently he does it, there's not many players that do that. And uh, obviously, he's Nikola Jokic. We're Denver, so nobody's going to talk about it. But uh, he's an incredible player. And uh, we asked him to do so much for this team as, as a third-year player trying to carry this team. And, uh, and he doesn't bitch. He doesn't groan. He accepts it. He embraces it. And he goes out and does it almost every night at a very high level. So um, the, the, if you look at his numbers right now, Harrison, uh, the, the numbers are a joke. I mean, like, break down his numbers. Scoring, rebounding, playmaking, and the efficiency in which he's doing so. Um, you know, I, I look forward to coaching him for a long, long time. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com.